I really thought about Michael was talking about gender and pushing it into the public conversation and questioning gender roles long before anybody really was out there in the public zeitgeist doing it. And so back in when that happened, the Betty Grable's best legs in St. Louis, he was like, well, I have the best legs. So he <laughs> enters as a right and would so tell modest. you, I mean, yeah, I mean, and still to this day, if he were alive, he'd be like, well, I have the best legs. And the argument was, uh, well, if Broadway can do it, why can't why can't these performers do it? And the only counter argument was, well, this is lewd, essentially. He just connected with people so directly when he was Michelle. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Michael Shreves died on November 28th. He was just 61 years old. The cause was COVID-19. Now, the name Michael Shreves might not ring a bell, but what about Michelle McCausland? That was Michael Shreves' drag queen alter ego. And Michelle's story wasn't just about high heels and fake eyelashes. In 1984, Shreves was arrested in downtown St. Louis while dressed as Michelle. At the time, it was illegal to dress in drag in St. Louis. Michael Shreves fought his arrest and won. People remember that landmark victory. They also remember Michelle McCausland's winning way with a song, like this one by The Carpenters. Michelle closed every show with it. Why do stars fall down from the sky every time? And that was Michelle McCausland's signature song. And here today to discuss Michelle the Performer and Michael the Man is Stephen Lewis Brawley. He's the founder of St. Louis LGBT History Project. Steve, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by Michael's longtime friend, Matthew Kearns. Now, Matt is an annual guest on this show as executive director of the St. Louis Fringe Festival. So, Matt, welcome back. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, Matt, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. I understand this friendship went way back. You first met Michael Shreves when you were just a teenager. Uh, how did when you I guys was, meet? When I was just a teenager, yeah. Uh, so I started doing community theater up in North County, where I came from. And uh, Michael was in a show with me. And it became a pretty regular thing that we would do shows together. And we became friends that way. And years later when I was exploring my sexuality and decided one night to sneak out and go to a gay bar, I was rounding the corner of this gay bar that used to be over by the Ikea. And uh, I came into a cabaret lounge and <laughs> this very tall, lots of legs, lots of hair, lots of heels <laughs> performer looked right at me and said, Matt Kearns, I knew you were gay. Now, now you're gay. Get over here and hug me. And that's <laughs> the night I met Michelle McCausland. And so, she introduced me to the community. <laughs> so that was your first time meeting the Michelle side of Michael. Totally. Had you yeah. known back when you knew Michael um, that he was gay? Uh, for sure. Okay. I mean, yes. I mean, it's the first thing he said to you. And and told me I was gay, too, at 16 years old, which terrified me. <laughs> it terrified you. You weren't ready for that yet. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but had you known also that uh, Michael had this whole Michelle persona back when you were in high school? Uh, I did towards the end, like in my in my late teens, early 20s, I definitely knew that that existed. I never had met Michelle until that night at Magnolia's. And it sounds like Michelle made a powerful impression of all the, the many drag queens in the city. Michelle had something special. 
she had this ability to connect with people. So Michael was never interested in being the prettiest girl on stage or the pageant queen, although he wanted to win crowns. I don't want to be unclear about that. Um, he wanted to connect with people through talent and through his gift of comedy. And he could like, in the way he danced show tunes and the carpenters and the sound of music were all like very much in his regular wheelhouse. And he just connected with people so directly when he was Michelle. Hmm. Steve, I understand it was the opposite for you. You were introduced first to Michelle McCausland and then later you got to know Michael. What did you make of the whole Michelle McCausland persona? Yes. In fact, um, I believe I met Michelle maybe at the same um, bar that, um, that Matt um, met Michelle. It's actually the same, same cabaret lounge. And they're just bigger than life and funny. But again, just very serious about uh, performing. It wasn't, you know, some shtick. It wasn't, it was very, um, you know, very well done and very well choreographed and very just a show. And so I didn't meet Michael for years later. It was way before we started the history project. So, you know, I knew Michelle for a long time and then gradually met, you know, Michael, um, you know, years later. And so it was the opposite for me. Yes. But I will, you know, reinforce what, you know, what, you know, um, Matthew has said is that, you know, his personality um, was big. Um, his heart was big and, and he was never a braggart and never talked about, you know, a lot of the activism that he had done. But but boy, those that, that knew both Michael and uh, Michelle can attest to um, how, how important both of them were to our um, um, long-term um, life here in St. Louis. Uh, Matt, I know this is kind of a side note, but I just, I love this anecdote so much. I can't not make you tell this. I understand he originally started performing as Michelle McCoosland, and then it changed to McCausland. What was what was the original idea with McCoosland, and why did it shift? So according to Michael, when he first came here from Mount Vernon, which is where he's from, he and started doing drag, he had had to pick a name. And so he picked the name of the girl he thought was the prettiest girl and he went to high school with. And that was her name. Hmm. But because St. Louis is St. Louis and we force our own names on you, um, he everybody kept introducing him as Michelle McCausland because of the street. And one night he told me, he's like, I finally just gave in and went, yeah, that's fine. Fine. I'm Michelle <laughs> McCausland. <laughs> so this is kind of like that St. Louis thing where we still call it Riverport. Or if your last name totally. is McCausland, we're going to call you McCausland. He rolled Until you it. just bend to it and accept it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And one other just a great anecdote about this Michelle McCausland performance. Um, I understand that he won as Michelle, I guess Michelle won, the Betty Grable's Best Legs in St. Louis contest. This was not a contest meant for drag performers. This was just meant for for women. Is is that right, Matt? Yeah, totally. Well, so and it's so interesting to me because really, as I've been reflecting on it, I I really thought about Michael was talking about gender and pushing it into the public conversation and questioning gender roles long before anybody really was out there in the public zeitgeist doing it. And so back in when that happened, the Betty Grable's best legs in St. Louis, he was like, well, I have the best legs. So he <laughs> enters as a, right, and would so tell modest. you, I mean, yeah, I mean, and still to this day, if he were alive, he'd be like, well, I have the best legs. And he entered it as Michelle and, and when you see the photo, there's this like lit row of women, and then there's this one woman who's towering over all of them. So the way that he told it is he won, 
He won as Michelle. He was flanked by two military folks who walked him down a runway that they had built out into the Fox Theater's audience. And the two military guys let him go to wave and say hi like you do in a pageant. And he snatched that wig off in front of everybody and was like, hey, everybody. <laughs> and wow. like let them know he was a man. Yeah. And, and people had not known this prior to him taking that bold step. No, no, completely registered and and competed as Michelle. So he didn't want to just win. He wanted to win and then make it clear, hey, I'm a man that just won this. That's right. That's exactly what he wanted to do. Like I said, he was pushing these boundaries of gender and saying, I I don't subscribe to that. And I'm going to just do it in my own way, but I'm going to do it. Hmm. Well, Steve, that's actually a great segue to talk about this big impact that you alluded to. What do we know about what St. Louis's drag scene was like in the 70s and 80s before this this seminal legal victory uh, that Michael was a big part of? Sure. I mean, we have um, evidence of female impersonation shows in St. Louis dating way back to the 1800s. St. Louis was a big vaudeville um, you know, um, market. And so lots of vaudeville shows with female impersonators. So lots of female impersonation getting way back. So, but again, you know, in St. Louis, it was against the law legally to, you know, to do um, any kind of drag because of the anti-masquerading laws that had been on the books since the 1840s. So, you know, police would, um, sub, you know, just randomly, without warning, go into a gay bar. They could, you know, they were, they easily could arrest someone if they were performing in drag. And they did. They this law was enforced. They made these arrests. Yeah, I said it was very random. Um, there were um, several. Um, you know, um, we have evidence of some um, female impersonation shows in the 30s and 40s that were like a straight club. But um, the gay bars, it was an easy way to go in. And, um, you know, discriminate and to harass um, the LGBTQA community. Um, that term didn't exist then, but the term we use now. So, you know, the police would go in, there'd be a raid, and they would, you know, um, you know arrest people. Um, kind of could have been an election year. It could have been the mayor or the police wanting to show they were, you know, got to clean up the town and get rid of crime and vice and lewd behavior and, and all that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Michelle, you know, was one of hundreds of, of of people arrested that we don't even know how many were arrested over the years for um, doing um, doing drag. Hmm. And it's it's fascinating to think of how they even could could spell this out in an ordinance. Things have changed so much since then that we just don't even think about this. But this law it made it a misdemeanor for people to appear in public quote in dress not belonging to his or her sex. Um, Steve, is that something that was also used against say the transgender community, not just the drag community? Well, sure. And again, you know, we're using terms that didn't exist, so the term trans didn't exist, and you know, using the modern, you know, um, language and alphabet. So, you know, we, we don't know. And sadly, we, you know, we can only assume that so many people who would today maybe identify as trans or um, part of the LGBTQIA family were probably arrested, harassed, um, you know, because, you know, they, they, you know, we didn't have, you know, the rules we have now. So they used that law to um, arrest people. A lot of women masqueraded. Um, as men, not because but because of financial reasons, they could make more money, or they I feel safer if they um, were um, thought they were a man. So there's so many um, issues of gender that come into play here. So you know the the, the law wasn't created you know back in 1840 specifically for you know against drag queens. It was it was a bigger um, societal issue 
um, that, um, you know, we just the St. Louis didn't grapple with until Michelle's case. We're talking today to Stephen Lewis Brawley. He's the founder of the St. Louis LGBT History Project. And we're also talking to Matthew Kearns. He's the executive director of the St. Louis Fringe Festival and a longtime friend of Michael Shreves, who died just last month, uh, well known for his drag queen persona, Michelle McCausland, and fought this this very important case here. Um, Matt, what do we know about that night that, uh, that Michael was arrested while performing in drag? This was in 1982. Um, do we know what stirred the police attention to this particular lounge on Washington Avenue? So I was, Stephen sent me a ton of articles and I just dug into them based upon what I knew from Michael and then what the article said. And the things that I learned that were interesting tidbits is there was an undercover sting guy, it seemed, that raided the bar. Mm -hmm. And through all of the performers that night in the paddy wagon, (laughs) and as as the story goes in the newspaper, is when they were put in there, all the girls were allowed to get their coats, but they weren't allowed to change clothes. And they were singing Free to Be You and Me on the way to the station. Oh, so they were defiant. Oh, totally. Yeah. And Michael was quoted in the article saying, I didn't do anything wrong, so I wasn't taking this seriously. Hmm. And his mugshots apparently are that of liking, liking to Marilyn Monroe. Uh, so he did, he did the uh, mugshot portrait uh, in drag. It's, it's Michelle who's actually pictured. Totally. Yes. And I do want to clarify. I'm sorry. I I realize I misspoke. This was in 1984, not in 1982. Uh, Matt, sorry for interrupting. Yeah, it's okay. 84. And then I think the case was resolved by 86 is the like, that's how long it took. But I do know from Michael that when the ACLU came into the the, the 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 cell that night and said we want to represent you and fight this they also represented a trans woman at the time who was also performing at the club so it was the two of them and michael's half of the case was fought because of the broadway community and the argument was uh well if broadway can do it why can't why can't these performers do it and the only counter argument was well this is lewd essentially <laughs> and they fought for the trans person in the same way so when the laws were finally changed it did make an opening for the trans community to finally walk around as their authentic selves without being harassed by the police. Mm-hmm. The, the one interesting qualifier I'll add to that that Michael had told me is that the law actually got changed to you were allowed to be in the opposite sex's clothing, except you had to have one piece of your own sex's clothing on what? at all times. Are yeah. you kidding? Uh-uh. That is one of the, well, I'm not going to cast judgment here, but maybe people can pick up on just how dumb this might sound. Um, Steve, this this is just some really interesting history here. And it sounds like the ACLU was there immediately that night and, and looking to make a challenge or, or early in the morning, uh, whatever the case was. I understand they, they perhaps had tried to challenge this ordinance before. Is that right? Yes, um, the ACLU had um, a case they were trying to bring forth um, in the early, um, in the 70s. Um, unfortunately, this would have been a, um, um, what I believe would be um, a trans female, um, and they were, had, this person had been arrested several times, and, and they were working on the case. And then sadly and tragically, the person was murdered um, in a robbery. Mm-hmm. And so the case was never able to be bought. And so, you know, the ACLU had been, you know, aware of this, um, you know, situation and been trying to address it for a while. So when um, Michael and the others case um, came forward, they were, you know, there to, you know, um, move it forward. So, you know, again, you know, we're all, you know, legacy upon legacy. So there were others, you know, way before, you know, Michael who um, had endured this discrimination and, 
And so, you know, as again, I always say we stand on each other's shoulders. So, you know, Michael was standing on, you know, other people's shoulders who had endured this discrimination as well. And then Michael, you know, through his perseverance said, you know, we're, you know, that, you know, we're mad as hell. We're not going to take any more um, approach. Hmm. So, Steve, uh, part of your work with the History Project is that you document what happened here in St. Louis. I understand you never had the opportunity to sit down and talk to Michael Shreves to hear him tell this story in his own words. Uh, why not? Yeah, it, when I heard Michael had passed, I was, you know, of course upset, just on a personal level. But I had talked to Michael several times about, you know, we need to sit down, we need to get an oral history. And he was, yeah, 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 we'll do that. And then just, it never happened. Hmm. Um, again, Michael didn't brag about it. You know, he didn't, you know, I don't know, Matthew can talk a little bit, you know, further about it. I just could never really get him to, you know, just really expound upon it in depth in a formal way. So, again, you know, sadly, um, he, you know, won't be able to tell that story. Several people have reached out to us, um, including um, someone else who was arrested that night who said they would be willing to give their firsthand account of what happened. So, you know, we'll have, you know, some accounts, but sadly, uh, Michael's voice um, is, in his own words, is forever lost. And that's why the project exists, is to make sure that doesn't happen, but it does sadly happen. Well, Matt, we have just a couple minutes left here, and there's just a, a really important thing I want to make sure we get to, and that is I understand that Michael is survived by his mother, who lives in Mount Vernon. Um, yes. and, and I was very surprised to learn that he actually kept this Michelle McCausland a secret from her. Had you realized that um, b- before being in touch with her after his death? Um, I did I did know that it was always something that he said, we just don't talk about it. Mm. That that was the way he kind of approached it with his family. We just don't talk about it. And that was, from my understanding, the same about his sexuality as well as Michelle. And so when I saw his mom recently and we met, um, it was a very interesting situation because I was asked to tell her about the importance of Michael as a gay icon in this area and the what he's done for our community. And and I, I, what I guess I tried to explain to his, his family is whether you agreed with Michael's choices or not for whatever your reasons, please just take this into account. He had a giant heart and because he chose to be a performer, he touched hundreds of thousands of lives in his lifetime and he changed them if just for a second he changed their life and he brought happiness and joy to people and do you think his family was was able to understand that uh in that conversation you had i for sure do I'm so glad to hear that. And again, I'm just so sorry for your loss. When you think about Michael today, uh what do you miss the most? Oh, I miss that phone call. Because, you know, life goes on and we all become busy. And so a text and a phone call and a lunch and that moment he picks up the phone and goes, hey, pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) That is something to miss. And and what a remarkable life. Steve, real quick, in in just our last uh, couple seconds here, uh, what would you want people to remember as they think about Michael's life and, and Michelle? Well, it's, you know, each one of us, you know, makes a big difference um, some way, somehow. And, you know, and in Michael through Michelle and just Michael as a person, as a, a talented interior designer and just sort of so much to Michael besides, you know, just being known as um, a female impersonator. But, you know, that we each have an opportunity to do um, things that, that make a difference. And, and you know, Michael through Michelle just did that every day, very kind, very sweet, but um, bigger than life. And so we should all remember his spirit and try to be a little bit more like Michael and Michelle. 
Well, Stephen Lewis Brawley, founder of the St. Louis LGBT History Project, thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly. And Matthew Kearns, thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. And I just want to say on behalf of our community, thank you for, for taking the time to recognize Michael. Well, it's, it's a remarkable life. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about this one. So I would thank you both for making it possible. And tomorrow on St. Louis on the Air, we'll discuss where things stand with Missouri's medical marijuana program. There's been huge interest, not surprisingly. We'll also learn about the 10th annual Hanukkah Hullabaloo that's hosted by St. Louis's own Brothers Lazaroth. More reporting from the St. Louis on the Air team is available at stlpublicradio.org. Or you can search for St. Louis on the Air wherever you get your podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts on the App Store. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.